Today's episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Safehouse Chicago. Your New Year's Eve mission has been assigned, agents. Safehouse invites you to attend Chicago's number one New Year's Eve festivity, The Bond Ball. Ring in the New Year James Bond style with hundreds of your closest friends. Enjoy dancing, drink, and late-night debauchery in the unique ambience Safehouse has to offer. Tickets include live DJ, dance party, late-night food buffet, two champagne toasts, and a hosted bar until 1.30 a.m. Purchase your tickets at safehousechicago.com before they sell out and demand the DJ plays View to a Kill, which is obviously the best James Bond theme. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnaud and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. And you might know I am no longer the host of this thing, but I still have a couple of podcast intros to record, so here we go. This is the first part of my final live recording as the host of Your Stories, which took place this past Saturday night. I was such a great, great evening full of lovely folks, both new and familiar. This is the familiar half of the show, with returning champions and my new Mortified Chicago co-production team, Mary Z, Tyler Snodgrass, and Mike Gifford taking the mic, plus brand new hosts and old friends, Shelby Mongan and Chris Crotwell share their own stories. Um, I should probably mention that Katie Johnson-Smith and I are taking over the Chicago chapter of Mortified next year, uh, so that's cool, that's why I... Uh, Talked about my Mortified Court producers. Uh, anyway, you'll also get music from me, Katie, the one and only Dwight Hassler, of course, and backed by special request of friendship for one final night, Jim Snedeker. Hell yeah. So come back next week for part two of the show and a little more info on what the new year of your stories will hold and enjoy part one of my send-off. But I am still alive. For now. Okay, so here's the deal, guys. Tonight, I, I think tonight's going to be a little on the maudlin side as we go along. Uh, but it's important that we all remember that this is a comedy show. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, is that the, the sequel to Maud? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Harold and Maudlin. So uh, 
The theme tonight, every night is a theme. The theme tonight is passing the torch for obvious reasons. This is the last half of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories that I will ever host. I, wow, harsh. I get, uh, I get four introductions and then I'm done forever. So um, anyway, like I said, theme has to do with fire. This is a comedy show. Here we go. One, two, one, two, three, four. Pacific Walter Richard Joe DiMaggio Joe McCarthy Richard Nixon Studebaker Television North Korea South Korea Marilyn Monroe Rosenberg's H-Bomb Sugar Ray Bamboo John Brando The King and I And the Catcher in the Rye Eisenhower Backseat England's got a new queen Marciano Liberati Rockefeller, Caponega, Caponess, Black, Roy Cohn, Lavaron, Tuscanini, Dacron, Dan Bien, Boo Falls, Rock Around the Clock, Einstein, James Dean, Brooklyn's got a winning team, Davy Crockett, Peter Pan, Elvis Presley, Disneyland, Bardo, Budapest, Alabama, Cruise Jet, Princess Grace, Peyton Place, Trouble in the
Nice work, everybody. That was Katie Johnson Smith. I'll talk about her a little later, but I hope you, I, I hope you enjoy your you only YOLO once T-shirt, circa 2012. It's true, you do only YOLO once. Um, speaking of fire, this is a song where the only lyric in the chorus is the word fire. I got really into this band this year due to uh, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, and we've only ever played one song by them in seven years, so now it's two. This is a little band from Athens, Georgia. Uh, the lads from Liverpool themselves, R.E.M. One, two, three, four. <laughs> goes out to the one I've left behind. A simple prop to occupy my time. This one goes out to this is like I said I have one half of the show left to host I'm gonna make it really really great so you may have seen the news on Facebook uh, weirdly it came up after I decided to leave your stories but uh, as of a couple weeks ago Katie Johnston Smith and I are the head Chicago producers of a show called Mortified <laughs> which is 
crazy and uh, amazing. And so the three people that I have booked to speak tonight are our associate producers going into this endeavor. They will be helping us find, uh, find talent and, and shape stories and uh, entertain a lot of people uh, at Lincoln Hall for years to come. So uh, that's very exciting. And uh, with no further introdu uh, with, ugh, with no further uh, ado, rather, let me start to introduce them. So, this first person coming up was a guest on the very first episode of the podcast, which is doubly cool. Um, I went to college with her as well, and she has done many uh, memorable appearances on the show, including reciting a song she wrote her best friend in high school from a fake Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical, uh, as well as yelling about safe sex at Demos Pizza because the PA required that one be very loud for anyone to hear. Uh, I like to think that the people munching on some sausage learned a lot about proper condom use that night. Uh, so please put your hands together for my friend and longtime performer, Mary Z. Hey, everybody. Phil didn't look like the type of person who painted miniature figurines in his spare time. <laughs> Tall, broad shoulders, dark hair. When he went as Wolverine for Halloween, all he had to do was slap on some foam claws and he looked the part. <laughs> Phil didn't act like the type of guy who painted miniature figurines either. Gregarious, bull in a china shop, and a positive energy that got everyone's attention when he entered a room. Honestly, he seemed more like the type of guy who might have beat up people that, made fit, that painted miniature figurines in their spare time. So I was delighted when I found out that Phil, who had just proposed to my sister, painted miniature figurines in his spare time. Miniature figurines! <laughs> and then I pieced it all together. He played D&D. &D. The walls in his apartment were lined with fantasy books. He would play the game Diablo for hours. I mean, he dressed up as Wolverine for Halloween. <laughs> you see, not only was I getting a new brother-in-law, but he was a nerd, just like me. <laughs> Finally, I, Mary Z, who has written Buffy musical fan fiction. <laughs> not be the only nerd in my family anymore. Uh, my, uh, Phil and my sister Anne got married on Labor Day weekend of uh, 2012, and I'll always remember it was Labor Day weekend because it was downtown, and it was the same weekend as International Mr. Leather, which is also downtown. <laughs> and Phil's family that came in from Pittsburgh got a real Chicago introduction. <laughs> I was a bridesmaid and I was so glad to welcome my new nerd brother into my family. Uh, the last memory I have of Phil is Christmas morning of that same year, 2012, at my parents' house after the entire family had spent the night Christmas Eve. He was laying on the couch wearing his uh, flannel pajama pants and diving into one of the many new fantasy books my parents had bought him for Christmas. And I don't know if this is a detail I've manufactured since that time, but I swear I remember him looking up from his book and commenting to my sister, his new wife, that his chest felt a little weird. Three days later, Phil died. If the circumstances of Phil's death were portrayed in a movie, critics would tear it apart for being too dramatic and far-fetched. He literally dropped dead in the middle of a funeral. 
Now you all at the Nerdalogs audience probably don't feel comfortable laughing at that detail. <laughs> but I, a comedian who has processed this moment with lots of therapy, uh, sometimes like to make the joke that Phil died as he lived, the center of attention. <laughs> He died from what we would later learn was an aortic aneurysm, caused by the same genetic defect that his older brother had died from a few years previously. The same genetic defect that he had previously tested negative for, but it had been a few years since he had gotten tested for the heart condition, and it was in that weird time in between Christmas and New Year's Eve. He and my sister had just gotten married. He hadn't even had a chance to change her name to be his life insurance beneficiary, and my sister had literally just filed the paperwork to change her last name to his, and I remember, I swear I remember him saying that his chest felt a little weird. I was 26 when Phil died. My life completely changed after that. I completely changed. I grew up. A few months after he passed, I moved in with my sister Anne because she needed a roommate to be able to afford her two-bedroom apartment. We lived in the apartment that she shared with Phil. What was originally supposed to just be living with her for a few months to help her save up some cash turned into two and a half years of an experience I can only describe as a combination of Gilmore Girls and Six Feet Under. <laughs> <laughs> ever, since I, when I'm, ever since that moment, uh, I actually like, always thought that I would one day love to make a TV show about this experience living with my sister, like to tell the story of a creative black sheep younger, younger sister who has to step up and move in with her widowed older sister and see how they navigate this new life together. So you can imagine my dismay when Fuller House premiered on Netflix, which has the exact same fucking premise! It's rather me! I, looking back, I remember how hard that first year after Phil died was. When you lose someone so close and someone so suddenly, you think to yourself, how am I ever ever going to feel better again. Moreover, how dare I ever feel better again? How can I possibly go on with life normally ever again? It feels wrong to ever feel good again. During this time, I expressed these feelings to my friend Joy. Uh, Joy uh, was on an improv team with me, and she had lost one of her sisters very young. And one night uh, when we were talking in her car after she was dropping me off after rehearsal one night, she said to me, Mary, mourning never ends. It transforms. This is the truest, realest advice that anyone ever gave me during that time. You can't carry around that level of pain forever. The feeling of loss doesn't go away, but it gets more contained. The pain fills up less space. Over time, the overt grief you feel is displaced by little moments of remembrance. You honor the ones you've lost by seeing them in the world around you. For instance, when I lived with my sister, every year on Phil's birthday, we would share glasses of Crown Royale and Coke, Phil's favorite drink. And to this day, I can't see a bottle of that whiskey without thinking about him. 
Every time I walked past the Steelers bar in Wrigleyville where Phil watched every single football game with other Pittsburgh expats, I think to myself, that's Phil's bar. He loved that bar. And whenever I come to a show like this and I hear a total nerd get up here and get real excited about their niche hobby or pop culture obsession, I think to myself, Phil's the kind of guy who painted miniature figurines in his spare time. Thank you guys so much. Mary, that was wonderful. Uh, about a week ago, Mary asked me if she could tell kind of a dower story, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Just so you know, you are going first. And she's like, great, is it still cool? And I'm like, yes. Uh, this show is about vulnerability, and it's about you know being earnest and raw and open with your emotions. And uh, thank you for sharing that and starting us off down a wonderful path tonight. Mary Z, everybody. Yay! This next guy is uh, a musical brother from another mother. So the first time he took the stage, he talked about uh, They Might Be Giants. Uh, he started a project called Fortnite from the Heart, which is a cataloging of power ballads, AKA Valentine's Day carols from February 1st to 14th every year. Because, you know, uh, rockers need love too, y'all. And uh, sometimes we just gotta talk about poison. We just gotta. Um, <laughs> Tyler runs a very successful, or co-runs a very successful show called uh, We Still Like You, and he is going to come up right now and uh, be great. Please welcome Tyler Snodgrass, everybody. Oh, you're over here. Over here. Yeah. It's We Still Like You. Right? We Still Like you. On you. Okay. Yeah, We Still Like You. We Still Like You. You nailed it. <laughs> you're over there. Um, cool, cool. Hello. Um, the theme of passing the torch is is really not connected to this story, but it is the first story that I thought of. So let, <laughs> maybe you'll find a way it's connected because it feels connected. Anyway, we'll just get okay. So I am from uh, Southwest Missouri in an area called the Ozarks, uh, which explains the bolo tie. I think <laughs> it is not just a Jason Bateman vehicle. It is a. <laughs> A place where people live and breathe and uh, go to water parks on vacation. Uh, <laughs> like this guy. So I'm not only Ozarkian, but I'm also a little trashy, which is why this bolo tie is glued back together. Uh, <laughs> you can take a closer look in a minute if you want. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I grew up like poor. Both my parents were public school teachers, so you know we were fine. But you know, trash is more of like an attitude, right? <laughs> that you have. You know what I mean? It's like if you find a flooded cave, you go swimming in it. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> you've been in enough above ground pools, right? So. Uh, I moved to Chicago about five and a half years ago uh, to do comedy, and I do stand-up primarily. And if you don't know, when you've done stand-up in Chicago for long enough, the only way that you can feel good about yourself is if you go to a shittier town to do stand-up. <laughs> Just like a couple times a year, right? So that meant I was gonna go back to Missouri <laughs> and visit my hometown and some neighboring towns. And so I brought a couple buddies with me, my buddy Mike and my buddy Nikki, and uh, we hit the road just doing uh, shows in you know, a couple other towns on the way down to Springfield, Missouri, where I'm from. Now, I lived about 45 minutes north of a town you might have heard of called Branson, Missouri. Yeah, yeah the plastic mecca, right? It is, a, it is a Vegas for retired Baptists, basically, <laughs> is what it is. 
If you are totally unfamiliar, I could put it like this. There are no casinos, but there is a half-size replica of the Titanic that is also a restaurant. <laughs> Prostitution is not legal, but we have at least one Ripley's Believe It or Not wax museums, okay? So that's what we're dealing with. There is a really, truly great part of Branson, Missouri, which is a theme park called Silver Dollar City. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah, which I went to a lot as a kid. And it is, uh, honest to goodness, a, a world-class theme park. It is set in the 1880s, which is very specific. Uh, and <laughs> all of their rides have to deal with being in the 1880s. So they're all, like, train-based. They... Uh, or like about like steam-powered stuff or whatever. They they really gloss over slavery, but whatever. Um, it's so great. It's great. They got glass blowers. They got blacksmiths. It's amazing. So I take my friends who are from Chicago to this place because it's gonna blow their fucking dicks off, right? This is place. It's gonna be amazing. And they love it because you can't not. The rides are so good. We go in the springtime. There's no lines. We have the best time. So that's Missouri. Our next stop is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a city that I've never been to and hopefully will not again. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I've never been to Tulsa. And then I realized why pretty quickly. Um, we did this show in Tulsa at an attempt at a comedy club and God bless them for trying, but really nobody came to this show. The only people who came to uh, the two shows, uh, and the first one was canceled because nobody came. <laughs> the only people who came to the second of the two shows were friends of the host. Uh, so like the local MC. And the local MC was this, uh, was this gal named Kristen, um, who was very nice to us, but very racist on stage. So not a fan, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, a lot of cheap, not very great jokes. So, uh, but she's kind of our... Uh, you know, she's our Sherpa through T Tulsa, so we've got to kind of hang out with her. And uh, she's brought some friends, one of whom is real cute. She's a real cute lady. And my friend Mike is like, I like this lady. Um, and uh, this, this girl is wearing a lot of like black and white makeup, right? She's very made up and it really works for her. And Mike turns out is really into that. So he's like, wherever she's going, I want to follow that. Like, All right, we'll follow Kmart Harley Quinn around if that's what she is. <laughs> No offense. Uh, <laughs> so this leads us to one bar that is legitimate and open, and then to another bar that is not open. It is owned by uh, the host, Kristen, and her friends, and their friends. So we go to this bar, and it, they say it's going to be open here pretty soon. And it's, uh, I found out later on like the sketchy side of Tulsa. Uh, and it's just in a gravel parking lot. And no lights are on, it seems. But you go in, and uh, there's no stools. There's like a pool table that seems just recently installed. And a very scary man behind the bar uh, who has like a shaved head and like a big handlebar mustache and a goatee. And he, he looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin, but like smaller, which means his muscles are like more pronounced, right? He's like <laughs> scary. Um, and we're drinking, and we're drunk. And I learn that... Uh, this girl that Mike is chasing and the guy behind the bar uh, work together as drug dealers and that this bar <laughs> is a front. <laughs> 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 
So somewhere between being like a distraction legally and just like they own it for fun to like to serve their friends. So we're friends now and it's like three or four in the morning and we're hammered and now, whoops, doing cocaine. Uh, <laughs> and that's not really my thing, so I just do a little. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. And I, uh, I get just kind of this weird feeling that I've overstayed my welcome at some point. I'm like, we should get out of here. But Mike is still kind of flirting with this girl. And everybody seems to be having a good time. Of course, we're all very hammered. And I all of a sudden find myself in a conversation with the bar owner, head drug dealer, Steve Austin <laughs> himself. And we're talking. And I am kind of unreasonably scared of this guy. Uh, but he's talking to me and he's like, so you guys are from Chicago? And he's like, they are, I'm from Missouri. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's like, oh yeah, where in? And I'm like, oh, I'm originally from Springfield. And he goes, Springfield? That's pretty close to Branson, isn't it? And I'm like, yes it is. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I've been to Branson. Hey, you ever go to a place called Silver Dollar City? <laughs> I'm getting excited and I'm like yes we actually were there literally yesterday and he goes I fucking love that place <laughs> and I'm like yeah it's the best and then he says he's probably in his mid 40s oldie but he he says this he goes I got season passes <laughs> I like to go and not even ride any rides I just walk around <laughs> And I'm like, it's a cool place, man. And he's like, hey, I got a question. You ever go at Christmas time? <laughs> and I'm like, I have. And you got to know, at Christmas time, they, they very famously put up like 10 million Christmas lights all over the place. It's like a whole thing. And he goes, where they put up the Christmas lights? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I fucking love it at Christmas time. <laughs> and I'm like, I love Christmas. And he's like, let's do shots. And I'm like, okay, man. <laughs> And uh, then I was not afraid, but I was like, we do have to go. And that's my time. Thank you. With uh, hot travel tips for, uh, yeah, that's recording, for Bran uh, Branson. I, I still check every time. Branson and Tulsa, if anyone is planning on touring there. We went on tour and did not stop at those places. What a missed opportunity. So, coming next to the stage. Oh, my gosh. So, when this gentleman heard that I was uh, retiring, he was like, Eric, I want to do the show. And I was like, well, that's great, because I was going to ask you anyway. Um, one of the all-time greats on this stage, uh, if you haven't listened to his story uh, from our first Tom Hanks Day episode about his friend named Tom, it is, uh, it, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, everything he does is amazing. He teaches storytelling. He's going to be working with Mortified soon. I can't wait to work with him more. And I'm so excited to hear what he has to say. Please welcome to the stage the one and only Mike Gifford. Yeah. I wish I could stand up that fast. So anyway, I'm an old gay man. Everything could drop out. So, okay. So this is Eric's last nerd logs as producer, and yet he's still dressed like a guy who owns a white van with no windows. Okay. I'm going to level with you, Eric, because after tonight, I don't ever plan on seeing you again. Get a haircut. Never. 
you make it look like it's always humid. You need to get it together. You're better than this. Sidebar. I'm about to turn 36, so that means in 36 more years, I'll be dead. Sub sidebar, and still have better hair than Eric. End of sub sidebar. So I've been thinking about dying a lot more than usual. While sitting in a dimmed light, alone. While watching the Netflix original series, nailed it. I like to watch people fail at baking while I ponder my own death. An old buddy of mine just got diagnosed this week with terminal pancreatic cancer. This is real and he has weeks to live. And I thought to myself privately, how lucky. I mean, being told you have weeks to live is the next best thing to dying in your sleep. It's virtually no inconvenience. Fantastic. I get to do everything I want to do and then die. Oh, we clearly have different dreams. <laughs> But he's been my friend for 18 years and I love him and I'm glad he got to see me at this point in my life because after a lot of self-care and major ongoing lifetime changes, I'm in the best place in my life. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. My friend's life was long and very good and mine finally is too. So here's my life in a nutshell, a list. One, my parents fucked in a trailer with shag carpeting and conceived me. <laughs> two, Mother was watching Young Frankenstein when her water broke and nine hours of bad light came ripping and screaming out of her pussy. <laughs> Number three, at nine years old, I heard about AIDS and thought, I'm not gonna be gay. Number four, so I became an employee of the Republican Party. Ta -da. Uh, number five, being a Republican ended poorly and I became a faggot. Number six, moved to Chicago and everything worked out. No, you're stupid. Number seven, I had some highs and lows, and then I worked it out. Now what you ask? Well, fuck, who cares? Plans don't work out because tomorrow isn't real until it happens, so you better make sure you enjoy today. Your choice, not my problem. And yes, I have an accent if you feel the need to tell me after the show. Now I've saved us both the trouble of us having to talk. <laughs> now I can die happy. Done. End of sidebar. My stylist's name is Paige. She is amazing. Let me help her help you. Kevin did it, and look how good he looks now. Despite the van and the hair, Eric is the best. He's kind, enthusiastic, open to trying all sorts of new artistic ideas, and Eric really gives a shit. When I was in one of those low points, Kevin referred me to do this show and Eric booked me. 
I talked about my pubic hair, and we've been doing this show ever since. <laughs> like a virus, patching the torch, if you will. Ooh. <laughs> Eric, like myself, is not good at accepting praise, but I love him and trust him like few others I've ever known. So now as he moves on from your stories, for Shelby and Chris to inevitably run into the ground, <laughs> We can all reflect now and say quietly to ourselves, we saw that coming. <laughs> Eric, I look forward to continuing our friendship and working together in the future. And to Shelby and Chris, I hope you have the best time and learn so much from this experience because you're already off to a good start by clearly owning a mirror. <laughs> Thank you. Gifford, everybody. Uh, never, never getting the haircut, but thank you, Mike. That was lovely and made me feel stuff. Uh, it's very fitting that Mike is the last kind of uh, average introduction that I'll ever do for your stories, because now this is the one-time only introduction uh, to the people who are replacing me. I can't think of two more perfect people, which is funny because I didn't think of it. To be honest, Logan Dean thought of it. When we were generating a list of people to take my spot, and everyone on the list was a fucking comedian. And like, guys, I understand, like we're all performers, we all do bits, ha ha ha, we're great. Um, <laughs> Logan's point was that maybe the show is better if it's not about performers. Maybe the show is better if it's about real people. And uh, independently of knowing that, independently of knowing that, Chris and Shelby came to the very same conclusion. Um, Shelby Mongan is an example of, she was the first person we met through Nerdalogs who I think really embraced us and really felt uh, akin to what we were doing and, and loved it. And that meant so much at a time when Kevin and I were setting up tables at, in Rosemont uh, at the Chicago Comic Con doing sketches of whatever people asked us to draw even though neither of us can draw. That was Nerdalogs circa 2012 um, and Shelby was there for us. Also in 2012, Chris Crotwell told I think the first story on this podcast that made me realize that maybe people who weren't our friends would want to hear this podcast. It's an amazing story about uh, being related to the, um, the little people who are on uh, what AMC show uh, about uh, TLC. TLC show about little people and uh, how he wanted to go to a Comic-Con dressed as Chewbacca and they would be uh, <laughs> similarly like scaled Ewoks to him. Uh, it's a wonderful story and I recommend everyone goes in the archive and listen to it. I could say more about their personal relationship as it developed through the show, but I'm saving that for my story, because in a great cruel twist, I'm making them introduce me at the end of the show. <laughs> but for the last time ever, and, and uh, for the first time ever, and taking over the show as of this moment, please put it together for Shelby Mongan and Chris Crotwell. <laughs> I'm glad you guys own a mirror. Good work. Thanks. Guys, don't make me cry. I worked on this eye makeup today. He's on a regular base. All right. Hi, guys. Um, we are super excited to see you guys here and mildly terrified, which is a fun experience to have those emotions together. Um, 
that's Dwight. He's terrible. Um, so, so Chris and I, we have a long history with your stories. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, we, we have been doing this for a long time. We've actually told one story together. And so you guys get to be a part of our weird navigation of attempting to host a thing together uh, and mostly trying to get all of the attention to ourselves at the same time. Um, so to spare you all of that fight for the moment, we decided to tell um, short stories separately a little bit. For those of you who don't know us, uh, to get to know us a little bit better and our relationship to this story. So, I am going first, which means it is time for overly sincere feelings. <laughs> Do you ever look back on a time in your life and you think, who the hell was that person? Like, what were they doing? I remember the first joy stories that I ever went to. I cannot figure out for the life of me how I found out it existed, nor do I even know why I went in the first place. I am a very anxious person. It's a miracle I left my dorm. But I did. Um, and it was part of that kind of naive time early on in college where I was in this big city and I was really trying to find myself, which meant I did a lot of improv. And I apologize to all of those audiences, <laughs> both for improv and my specific performances. Um, I was trying to figure out who I was. So I just went to things. I just did things. I miss that youthful naivete so very much. Um, but coincidentally, that night was the first night that um, I'd met Eric. And Eric and Dwight had been there playing music. And it was, it was a new thing for a lot of us. I kept going back to the show pretty regularly after that first one. And to this day, it still mm -hmm. astonishes me that, it, that I did, um, purely because the number one in, uh, feeling that came out of going to your stories for me was complete and utter anxiety. Not from performing, like, y'all, I'm good. Like, I'm up here. I'm an only child, so I love everyone looking at me. Like, this is dope. Totally fine with that. But the being around these people and being unsure and scared, um, not knowing if I fit in, always feeling too young to be in the spaces that I was in, I left and nearly had panic attacks almost every Your Stories when I left. Uh, multiple times I said that I was never going to come back. And I kept coming back and back, and I've been coming here for like seven years. Whoops. I don't know what it was. I think it is the sheer volume of love in this community that even when you are scared, you keep coming back. I've been going, this might not appear evident, but I've been going to the gym a lot more lately and lifting weights. Um, and I have been becoming very acquainted with new kinds of pain, of the, <laughs> of the pain at the end of a really hard set or the soreness the day after and hobbling around. Um, but I'm learning to understand the value of that pain, that it is an indication of something good happening, of growth occurring. And I'm starting to realize <laughs> that those nights racked with anxiety were kind of a little bit of soreness after a hard set, right? They were a little bit of growing pains for me. Um, I am so happy that something came over me to come that first night and that I got over myself enough to come back on a regular basis. And I am so happy to be here with you guys now and mostly terrified, but very happy to be taking over this show <laughs> starting in January um, with the love of my life who I met through this ridiculous, ridiculous storytelling show. Um, 
So what I would say to you is that sometimes, sometimes the pain means that your knee is breaking and you should stop with the lift. But sometimes the pain means keep going, you're getting stronger, you're doing better. And that's me. All right. You sit there, it was an awkward decision I made, but now you're stuck with it. <laughs> Didn't plan that, but I would like a full beer. I'm not mad. <clears throat> uh, when I moved to Chicago, I knew two people. And honestly, that is probably the only reason that I am here instead of anywhere else in the world that is not fucking Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, I sold my car the week after I moved, so I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> and I turned that money into a computer and a futon, and the reason I bought the futon is because when I had enough space to buy a bed, I'd already have a couch. <laughs> Which was a combination of uh, completely unreasonable optimism and incredible uh, naivete. Because uh, I slept on that futon for four fucking years. It's an uncomfortable bed. <clears throat> After a while, I found myself sitting in a robe, unemployed, with my roommate Chris Geiger, mainlining trailer park boys and starting to ask myself what exactly I was doing up here. I'd done something for sure, but I had no damn idea what I was doing. <clears throat> That's not a very comfortable feeling. It's a deeply uncomfortable feeling. And Geiger, uh, being Chicago's dad and a reasonable empath, <laughs> looked at me and said, I think Chris needs something. And he looked at me one day and he said, hey, you should come tell a story at this show that we do. It's called Your Stories. And I thought about it and I was like, I'm not doing anything, sure. And it wasn't the kind of thing that I had ever done before. Um, so I thought and I thought and I thought and I came up with an idea uh, about my family because we're all fucking weirdos. And... I sat down at that computer I bought and I looked at the screen and I looked at it for an hour, two hours, three hours and I said, I don't think this is the way this process works for me. <laughs> so I walked outside and I paced back and forth smoking the last half of a pack of cigarettes that was probably worth more money than I actually had left in the world at that point. <laughs> and I was in Edgewater and I walked to the beach and then I walked to uh, Lincoln Park Zoo. And then I walked around the zoo, and then I walked all the way back. And when I got back, I felt like I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do. Um, when the day of the show came up, I hopped on the 22 bus to ride to the upstairs gallery, and I felt nauseous. Now, nothing about that process has changed at all. <laughs> I've done this show a lot of times. It is always pacing and smoking and running the same thing through my head over and over and over and over again and then feeling sick and then vomiting at a bunch of nice people who I care about very deeply. <laughs> when I showed up at the show, uh, it was going to be at a thing called the Upstairs Gallery and I thought, that sounds nice. 
the upstairs gallery. It's a, you know, like I'd never been there. Like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a gallery. It's a dingy room full of strangers <laughs> on the second floor of a building above the Swedish American Museum. This is the sort of care I get at home, by the way. It's incredibly <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Podcast be damned. This needs to happen. It's performance. Um, so I got there, and it's, it's, it's a room full of people I mostly don't know. <clears throat> some people I've barely met. Some strangers. I feel terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I felt compelled to do this when Geiger asked me to. So I stood up. And I told a story about my family, and it was a long walk around the block for a punchline that ended in a Star Wars joke. <laughs> but I got laughs. I got laughs, and it felt good. And when I moved up here, I'd taken some knocks, and my confidence had been a little shaken, and I was feeling really uncertain. And afterwards, I had a room full of people uh, that were talented and funny and intelligent and interesting walk up, to me and tell me that they'd enjoyed the thing that I had done. And it gave me confidence. And that felt incredible. And over the ensuing years, I came back over and over and over. And I don't know how many stories I've told at your stories, but it's probably more than just about anybody at this point. What it really gave me over those years is community. This is a group of people that mean everything to me now. I, um, I only knew two people. And then I had community. And community is what makes experiences possible. Community is what enables you to connect and stretch yourself and reach out and do things that you might not have done or would never have been able to do. At 32, I started playing Magic the Gathering for the first time and joined a league because of your stories. <laughs> it's not a huge accomplishment, but I enjoy it immensely. <laughs> I will be married in less than a year because of your stories. If you, look, if you look at the entire story of my Chicago experience, it is a story that is largely about what your stories made possible. And I know that other people in this room feel the same way. What your stories did for me is that it connected me with a group of incredible, like-minded, lovely, supportive Beautiful people. And everything I've done since then, in this city, I can connect back to the moment that Chris Geiger asked me if I wanted to tell a story here. And the beating heart of the Your Stories experience across that entire timeline is the energy and warmth and goofiness and earnestness that Eric Garneau brings to this. He has been, from day one, 
this glowing embodiment of the ethos of the event that lets a group of people be vulnerable and honest and genuine with each other on stage. And the connections that have happened because of that, I owe an enormous debt to. I will never be able to repay Eric for making it possible for me to call Chicago a home, and now I do. This is my home, and it's home because of the people I met, because I was willing to stand on this stage and try to get a laugh. And uh, I, I just, I'll never be able to say thank you enough, and all that I can say is that it is my sincerest wish that Shelby and I make it possible for someone else to walk onto a stage feeling sick. <laughs> Not knowing where the fuck they are or what they are doing. Feeling lost and leave with a community. Because that is what makes your stories possible. There's something I forgot no, yeah. to email. Can oh. I do one more interview? Yeah, no, please do. Okay. Shelby and Chris, Just I get one more outro to Shelby, <laughs> Mungan, and Chris Rotwell. They're going to have to learn how to throw to break next time because I forgot that before we go to break, we have one more thing we have to do. This gentleman, uh, my friend Jim, drove all the way from Lowell, Indiana to be here and play at my last show. I am deeply in debt to him. That's a far-ass drive, everybody. Uh, Jim is currently in a new uh, unplugged cover band in Northwest Indiana called Dad Bod. If yeah. you are, what? Yeah. Um, Jim, uh, Jim is gonna play a song or two for us before we go to break. So Jim yeah. Snedeker. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. I've known uh, I've known Eric for a long time, and I thought he honestly forgot that I was supposed to come up here and do this. Um, when, when I saw the email about the name of the show and what was happening, I thought, well, I, I have to play this song. It's a little on the nose, but... Dio has rocked for a long, long time. Now it's time for him to pass the torch. He has songs of wildebeest and angels. Sword on the wings of a demon. It's time to pass the torch. You're too old to rock. No more rocking for you. We're taking you to home. But we will sing a song about you. And we will make sure that you're very well taken care of. You'll tell us the secrets that you've learned. Give your cape and scepter to me And a smaller one for KG
this next song is it's just one of my favorite rock songs and if it was good enough to send off David Letterman it's almost it's almost half as good enough to send off Eric <laughs>
Thank you, Eric. Come back at that point, and then I'll be in charge. Yeah! He'll be in charge of This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>